Uh, welcome along everyone, uh, good afternoon and welcome to Flinders University Fearless Conversation Series. This is episode five, your financial security, who's in control. So clearly a topic that all of us need to be across. Some of us perhaps not across it as much as we should be. So today we'll give you a whole range of uh, information and ideas perhaps that uh, will certainly equip you in this area. Um, it's a part of the Fearless Conversation series, as I mentioned. So we've got a panel of industry leaders here who we'll meet in just a moment, along with some Flinders University researchers and lecturers. And we're talking about topics that are relevant to all of us and topics that uh, perhaps we can have these really brave conversations and think outside the square and maybe challenge some traditional thinking so that we can be better equipped moving forward. Uh, my name's Mark Soderstrom. I'm from Channel 7. Uh, I'm generally the sport guy at Channel 7, so I'm actually very excited today to be involved in the finance, um, which is terrific because uh, I'm not sure about you guys tuning in and our audience here, welcome along. Um, I probably don't spend enough time looking after my finances and defer it to my wife, who I think is much better equipped. Um, and I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people in a similar situation where might spend more time and effort on their garden or their football tips than perhaps they do with their finances, which is crazy, I know, but I think there are many people in that situation. Um, a big thank you to Flinders University for creating these fearless conversations. Also the partners, the advertisers, Seven News, uh, Hither and Yon, and also Uni Super. Um, we'll look at a range of different areas. We're gonna to touch on some superannuation, perhaps cryptocurrency. Obviously a lot's been happening at the moment with interest rates and cost of living. So they are some of the the uh, topics that we will tackle. Uh, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands that we meet on and that we pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge and convey our deep appreciation to the elders of all the nations upon which Flinders operates. Um, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, you can go to Twitter, Fearless Conversations is the hashtag. Rightio, let's meet our panel, um, experts across a range of fields. Uh, Firstly, the man just directly to my left, uh, Mr. David Robertson, is the Chief Economist at Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Right, David, you are the man we need to know about all these interest rates. Uh, 20 years with Bendigo Bank, uh, banking career began in 89, working in foreign exchange and then looking at senior roles in Treasury, financial markets for the State Bank of New South Wales, First Chicago and CBA. Right, so you are right across this, which is brilliant, David. Um, Econ your updates to your economical updates are every month on the Bendigo Bank website. So it's David, welcome along. Um, sitting next to David, we have Dr. Michelle Jung, who is the Senior Lecturer in Accounting at Flinders University, uh, an MBA and a PhD in Accounting and Finance from Oxford Brookes University in the UK, um, and a fellow member of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants, more than 20 years international experience. So Michelle, welcome along. Great to have you here. Uh, to, Michelle's, to Michelle's left, we have uh, Tristan Barnes. He is the state manager here in South Australia for Uni Super Advice. And he looks after, uh, well, certainly helping people with their greater retirement plans and outcomes uh, for super, Uni Super members. So that is a big job and a lot of responsibility on your head there, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, obviously, and this is what I love to you. You've got a keen interest in human psychology and how decision-making in terms of finance is reflected by mindsets, which is great. Let's dig into that a little bit as well. And last, certainly not least, Nick Peacock joins us. He's a director of Milestone Project Management. Uh, Nick has more than a decade's experience in project and development management across a range of sectors, including commercial, retail, um, industrial childcare and aged care, and has uh, a lot of experience in financial budgeting and tendering, procurement, um, construction management and so forth. So four really interesting people with diverse skills. So if we are talking about your financial security, well, you guys are well equipped to do that. So welcome along all of you collectively. You. Right, we've done all of that side of things. Um, so let's get into it. And I've got to say there is probably no more appropriate topic at this time, particularly what's happened in the last few weeks. So can we kick off first with superannuation? I might go to you, Tristan, given your role just to kick things off. Um, obviously, a, a new federal government um, changes. We keep seeing uh, boundaries and goalposts changing across governments and so forth. Um, what does the new government mean for us all, essentially? It's a good question. Look, um, you could probably argue that superannuation's ideological home is with the Labor Party. It sort of was built out of the industrial relations system. 
um, reforms through the industrial relations system. Paul Keating obviously was was a was a was a key driving force in bringing compulsory superannuation to Australia. I think the Labor government would be feeling pressure um, at the moment to correct some of what your average Australian would be seeing as as inequity in the super system. I think that's a fair comment. Um, and we'll talk about wealthy retirees as we as we go on um, and whether it's fair um, what's been actually levelled at them in terms of the criticism of them. But um, I think what we might expect is the Labor government will be looking at potentially trying to limit the amount of contributions the wealthy can bring in to the super system, potentially try to limit the amount of tax deductibility that they can gain uh, into the superannuation system. So I think it'll be more around taxing the wealthy rather than necessarily trying to lift the arrangements for the poor. And there's reasons for that. It's actually quite tricky to get those two things right. To, um, so I think that's a fair fair assessment. Um, can I ask the rest of you guys, given your backgrounds, are you all really across your own super? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, if, if you said no, Tristan, we'd be very concerned right now. But can, can I ask for you guys, I mean, essentially, you know, the knowledge that each of you have in your specific areas, do you, do you feel really comfortable you're across your own super? David, can I ask? Yeah. I, I do. And, yep. um, you know, it's, it's obviously, uh, to your point, Tristan, I think we, we should be eternally grateful that um, Keating and, and Hawke brought in the mm. compulsory super. It's, it's wonderful, uh, perhaps for someone being on the wrong side of 50, uh, yes. that the, the closer you get yeah. to um, thinking about um, the, uh, the end game, that you, yeah. you can compare and contrast what it looks like compared to if there hadn't have been compulsory yes. superannuation. Um, but, you know, and then talking about the election, mm. I think it's great that both sides of politics were supportive of lifting the compulsory super rate mm. from 10 to 10 and a half and yep. heading to 12% by 2025. Mm. But uh, yeah, across it, um, but needing to be across it too. Can I ask guys, some of the, I suppose, the areas that you notice across super, given when you're advising clients so far, or anything that you're doing, where are the, is there sort of pockets of concern? generally across the society, you know, with people and perhaps where they're at with it? In terms of superannuation? Yeah. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say that um, the most concern we're seeing through at the moment is from retirees. Timing's not been great um, for people retiring now in that when you look at wealth and how it, how it sort of trajects over, over a long period of time, what happens early in retirement has vast effects on what the actual outcome is over time because of things like compounding interest and what have you. So a retiree who's retiring now who's seen quite a bit dip in their superannuation balance is having a pretty negative event early in their financial trajectory. So there is some yeah. concern from retirees. From the young, um, apathy, of course, when yeah. it comes to superannuation. We're still looking for, for to, you know, to try and engage the young. But, you know, they're in an interesting position because as markets fall and regular super contributions go in, they're buying low mm -hmm. and regularly. So, th so they're in a, a completely different sort of kettle of fish to retirees. Yeah. Um, Nick, do you feel comfortable where your super's at? <laughs> well, enough. Uh, I think... Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I've got to say, you look reasonably young. I don't know, I don't yeah. know how old Nick is. Yeah, but 53. You look, um, yeah, she's the fountain of youth. No, you found I, that. You look amazing. But I don't monitor it too much now, but I've, I also grew up with a father as a financial planner, so um, he's still uh, actively involved yes. and still yeah, running his clients and myself. So, yeah, yeah I, uh, I don't focus on it too much these days. Right. Now, if we look at females, for example, I think they're sort of retiring with 60% of the amount that, that males are. And women live longer, Michelle, clearly, don't they, generally? Generally. Generally. Yeah, hopefully um, I am. <laughs> yeah, is that a concern? <laughs> oh. That, you know? Yeah. Okay, uh, looking around, I'm the only woman in the, exactly. in the panel, but, but uh, uh, let's be clear, what I'm saying does not represent the women in Australia. Oh. Yeah, it's purely my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I would say it is true that, that, that uh, uh, female super due to gender pay gap, perhaps, mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. and uh, uh, not every profession have the same gender pay. Yes. Okay. Yep. So that's one issue uh, uh, that is, I mean, is going on in the whole world. Yep. It's not something that easy to solve because if there is, someone would have done that. Yep. And uh, another thing is, of course, women taking up much more. Uh, they make the choices or 
not really made the choices, being made choices, to 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 kind of like taking up care, caring responsibilities for children yeah. or their families. So they make their sacrifices on that, having the career gap. When you have a career gap, you are losing out on your super. And which is why it builds up. And yeah. by the end, during retirement, you do not have as much nest uh, build up as much of um, meal. That's what I would say. That's it, right. Um, that's it, right, Michelle. Look, one of the things to point out about this particular problem, and it's a very difficult problem to solve, is that policy is not going to solve it. I'm absolutely convinced that it's not going to solve it. I'll give you a little bit of an example of what does solve it. Um, I had a young couple come in to see me, uh, mid-40s. Um, the, the lady in the couple, let's call her Deb, had taken a significant career break, professional woman, because as a family they'd made a choice. Um, Deb wanted to be at home with the children. Um, Tim, the husband, agreed that that was the right thing to do. And they came to me and they said, look, we want to solve this problem of the superannuation imbalance. How do we do it? In the end, when we put a strategy together, um, what we had was a couple, loving couple, who deeply cared about each other, and from, from a strategy point of view, it was, it was quite easy for me to start to shift wealth out of Tim's account over time into Deb's account so that when, you know, the, the kids were finally at school, um, their accounts would be quite equal when she re-entered the workforce on a full-time basis. So there are strategies. And what I mean by this particular, you know, not relying on policy, I think we need to be careful Two, two people, particularly a couple who are informed, will do a far better job at correcting the imbalance, the gender imbalance, uh, than any sort of policy. Policy plays a part, um, but, but I'm convinced that, you know, your average Australian has the, the nous and the control, particularly with an informed advice, to actually correct this issue. The final issue I'll point out on this one is that for singles, it's tough, um, and we're still trying to solve this problem. It's a very difficult one, particularly young mothers who may have gone through marriage disillusion. They're on their own raising the kids. That's a hard one. Um, we're still working on that problem. Yeah. yeah. It's a good point you make. And I mean, informed advice is obviously the key as well, isn't it, to be able to perhaps get that more equitable between a couple. And, it, it just and that strategy. I mean, Two people facing the world, yeah. facing facing the, the risk and the... Yep. And, and everything out there yeah. works well. Yep. Um, wealthy retirees, do they get too many benefits? That's a good question. Look, <laughs> I reckon baby boomers have had a rough trot with you know with, with you know with 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 the media and all that sort of stuff. Look, superannuation is was only really the compulsory superannuation came in '92. It's been running about 30 years. Um, in order to build enough scale and mass to create a a going concern, a proper superannuation industry, you had to entice people with money to put money in it. And so there were tax incentives and all sorts of stuff to actually build critical mass in it. Um, baby boomers have only been doing what's within the rules. Um, so I don't think we should target them as, 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 the, as the issue. The trend seems to be that those things are winding back now. There was a time when an investor could put $100,000 uh, and claim a tax deduction for it into superannuation. That's been wound back to about $27,500 now per year. So the trend is going that way anyway. So as super builds critical mass, I would expect, particularly with a Labor government, that it will naturally unwind itself anyway. Um, but yeah, let's. I'd like to give baby boomers a bit of a break on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's a few little baby boomers popping around here that we can uh, we can see, which is good. Um, I want to ask just about cryptocurrency at the moment. First, can I, do any of you, if you're happy to declare, do any of you have any crypto? Oh, no. No? No? no. no. I own a, a point 0.1 of a Bitcoin. Does right. that qualify? Do, what what, what, <laughs> what is that worth at the moment? Oh, not a lot. Okay. <laughs> can I just get a, a bit of an idea from the uh, audience here? We've got anyone own any crypto? Right. That's right. Okay. Um, just so the people at, uh, at home are watching this, there's no hands going up there. Um, just one at the back was there. Right. So one, only one person. Um, we hear so much about it. I think I find it personally a little bit intimidating because I don't understand it enough. Should people consider cryptocurrency? Thoughts, anyone? I've got a view, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my view is, uh, well, firstly, it's a highly speculative um, asset class, and I'm not even sure it's an asset class. It's right. just a highly speculative um, proposition. Yes. Um, now, as it happens, the price of Bitcoin has gone from 
you know, 10 years ago, it was less than $10. Yes. Uh, it, it's gone through the roof, but in a number of iterations, uh, and then over the last six months or so has lost two thirds of its value fairly yeah. quickly. Um, my personal view is that there's too much emphasis on considering Bitcoin as a some form of trading tool and not enough emphasis on the wonderful technology that underpins it, blockchain yeah. technology, mm -hmm. and the wonderful applications that blo blockchain technology can play with things like smart contracts. And mm. so uh, as a proposition for businesses uh, around, well, potentially around security and mm. cryptography and so on. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's a, a great opportunity in terms of its technological disruptive mm. potential, mm. but I think it's, um, it's, it's the wrong focus to just think about it as, oh, that's something that you can trade. Right. Uh, right. It's, it, I, th I think blockchain technology is, is yeah. the key and there are going to be some incredible inventions that come out of that technology yeah. in the decades ahead. I mean, I, I did uh, research in fintech, so basically I, I know quite a little bit more on yeah. uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. So I agree and disagree in some <laughs> parts of what right. you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say that do not invest or invest in cryptocurrency. And Bitcoin is just one of the, at the moment, I think it's 18,000 cryptocurrencies yeah. out yeah. there. Bitcoin is just one of the yeah. most uh, uh, prominent, most common, and, common. yeah, yeah, common one, prominent, Ethereum is another one. So the thing is, as you mentioned rightly, the underlying technology, the blockchain technology, uh, for anyone who like to invest or rather speculate, it is definitely on much more on financial literacy. You need to understand what Bitcoin is, what cryptocurrency are, how it works, what is the pros, what's the cons, and, and there are futures in it or not. We really do not know, but the reason why of the collapse is because there are many people who jump into this Bitcoin craze, do not understand and treat it as a speculative assets or non-assets. If they understand it and make the right decision and make an informed decision, perhaps it will be a, 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 what it, it meant to be, a replacement of currency. The thing is the decentralized finance or what DeFi means to be, the blockchain technology is actually quite interesting. So why uh, a big uh, cryptocurrencies comes about is because of uh, uh, people are not very happy with the traditional banks and people would like to have uh, things right now, real time. So Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies uh, uh, basically, uh, it, it is a blockchain technology where it can happen in real time, anytime, anywhere, without needing the physical banks to open or not. Yes. You need, just need internet. Right. Yeah, but you need to understand what's going on behind. It's a matter of distrust people or trust everybody because uh, the technology is in a way that no one can delete it. Right. So that yeah. any any amendment, everybody can see it. And that is the beauty of uh, blockchain yes. technology. It, it is too complex. Michelle, that's, you know, because I don't understand blockchain very well, but just moving back to a more ideological view of it, because I don't understand the detail like yes. Michelle does. Um, the whole reason it was created was this decentralization of finance, socialization of finance. As Michelle said, institutions are on the nose. I have some skepticism that it'll work in that way over the long term. Um, there's a phenomenon called the Pareto distribution, a guy called Vilfredo uh, Pareto back in the late 1800s and, and I think he died 1920s, somewhere around there. And he discovered that in, there's a phenomenon that runs through distributions of wealth and a whole bunch of other things in nature as well in that money, no matter how you distribute it, um, it will always find its way back up to only a few hands. And even if you dosh it out again, it'll always find its way up. The whole concept of socialization of finance, I worry potentially that it's not going to actually decentralize. We'll end up, and I don't know how that will manifest, um, but it'll end up with only a few people controlling everything. Look at social media. That's one of those classic cases where it was about giving everyone a voice, but 
what have we got? We've got Twitter and we've got Meta. That's about it. Um, they control everything now and they control censorship and all yep. that sort of thing. So that cycle, you reckon, yeah. just perpetuates? Yeah. I'm just, I don't have no, the detail you, you about are right. it, but there's a possibility you know, there. Tristan, you're, yeah. you're yeah. absolutely right. There, yeah. are, there are things that is going on, which is the, the, the downside of so-called decentralised, but not fully decentralised. We call it the DAO, the, the decentralised autonomous organisation, because it became the few giants that are going to control it, which is because yeah. lack of regulation and then people are misusing it for maybe yeah. illegal purposes yeah. like money laundering and all that we, we heard about that but uh, uh, right now there are few central banks in the world that is trying to uh, develop their own digital currency we call it the cbdc central banks digital currency there are i think two countries already developed their own digital currencies which is really interesting in a way that we could one day have australian digital yeah. currency and yeah. yeah in our wallet but then that will be controlled by our rba for example but that it could be in the future, but there, there's a lot of development going on. If it works, you'd want to be the country works. that controls it, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, that's it's one of those things. Yeah. So I, it might make sense that... Yeah. Because we need to ask ourselves, when was the yeah. last time we used well, cash? It's a very good point. Right? Yeah. Um, the the any, Greek landlords around town, though, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> You've never sort of dabbled in crypto or had any sort of Oh, I think I might have, yeah, a few years ago put something into Bitcoin and eventually sold out at a loss at some point, I think. But um, yeah. I've had, you know, I think from my generation especially, you know, you hear uh, a lot around, uh, a lot of conversations about it when it's going well, and right now I'm hearing nothing. Um, you know, there was recently, I think, um, and there's all kinds of new coins jumping up and yeah. making headlines, but I think it was that Shiba that suddenly went yeah. up a few thousand um, percent. And yeah, you hear about you know great wins there, but um, if they're sold or not is another question. Um, you know, and that suddenly you know fell off the face yeah. of a cliff pretty quickly. Um, you, you know that sort of conversation feels like I don't know if you if you ever know anyone who sort of does a fair bit of gambling just generally, and you hear about these great wins. You know, fantastic! Oh, I made ten grand the other day on the horses. But then you never hear every person ever on sports bet, yeah. about the, you know those losses. <laughs> or um, points bet. <laughs> you made a good point, Michelle. Too, it just made me think of it then, and I'm sure many of you have looked at this, particularly since um, everything that's happened with uh, with COVID. How little cash we carry now, um, or you know, not going to the ATM because everything's either on your phone or on your card. Um, because there's hardly any cash anywhere. Until such time your, uh, your phone dies or, um, <laughs> and, uh, or uh, and I think recently an ATM uh, swallowed a card and actually getting money out from your phone um, with your cards on your phone to then actually realising cash for whatever reason. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not exactly easy still. Yeah. Well, I think your cash is with the tradies. They've cut down. They've got to all go through ATO now, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world's changed. But you just think everyone you know, used to walk around... I can't remember the last time I had coins in my pocket. Yeah. You know, oh, to, mark the, to mark your ball on the golf green. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. But it, things have changed so quickly, so rapidly. We've been paying for parking out the front here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you, we uh, call it, in fact, it was, it was kind of like don't use cash you and don't shops touch. don't accept yeah. cash yep. because don't touch it. Yeah. yeah, don't even use PIN where, yes. where they increase the limit so that you... Yep. Use contactless. Like. In saying that though, Mark, I think uh, trades might roll up to your house a bit quicker if you're paying cash. Well, <laughs> yes. I had a guy look at the driveway the other day that's got a bit of water leakage and I said, do you do cashies? And he sort of looked at me and I thought, I don't know where I'm going to get the cash from. But <laughs> um, While we're just talking about crypto very quickly before we get into interest rates and so forth, um, there's these things called NFTs. Now, at the risk of sounding a little crass, I know NFI about NFTs. Now, essentially... It, what I'm trying to understand, it's a digital asset, but people are paying, and I'm not sure how familiar many of you are with these, millions of dollars at some points to buy essentially a digital piece of art or a digital baseball card or a little 14 second video clip that is unique, that's part of the blockchain technology. Are any of these things realistic investments or purchases? Like it, could, it just seems so bizarre and space age? I'd, I'd be very surprised. Um, yeah. One of the things that makes me really skeptical about NFIs... Um, NFTs. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Was it a took, took, <laughs> I took your lead there. No. Uh, is, is, yeah. So we had the example um, recently where 
um, virtual property. People yeah. are, p are paying thousands of dollars for virtual property. Yep. Uh, the only way you can experience it is to put on your augmented reality glasses and, and, go to your beach and, and away you go. Now, that the fact that there's no real utility there yeah. makes me extremely sceptical. So I'm already sceptical about di yes. digital currencies and digital assets, yeah. but non-fungible tokens yes. uh, really seem to be taking that to a, uh, another degree and just um, it, uh, hard is, to get your head around. It, yeah. it almost feels like gullibility is leading to people purchasing this, but I don't know. Is there some sense behind it? Yeah, yeah I would say there... You, you need to ask someone, why did you buy a bid for a Picasso painting yeah. when you can get a print? Yeah. So it's the same. Oh, okay. Yeah. So non-fungible token, the, yeah. the, the term non-fungible because it is unique, although it's built in the, it, yeah, it is built in, in the same uh, technology of cryptograph like Bitcoin yeah. and cryptocurrencies. I wouldn't say Bitcoin interchangeable yeah. because that's just one type of it. So like cryptos, uh, but the thing is crypto is fungible because you can, for example, you can swap one Bitcoin with another Bitcoin. Yes. It is still the same. Like we hold uh, $20 notes. We can, uh, my $20 notes, yeah. same value with yours. It doesn't yes. matter if we change. Yeah. But non-fungible token is an art in a way that there's only one piece in the world. Right. So you can have as many prints as possible, but there's only yeah. one Picasso, one Van Gogh, uh, Sunflower or whatever. I, I'm not that good. No, I understand yeah. what you But mean. It, it really depends on who, who kind of like yeah. into it. I guess it's for me, I don't understand how you can validate what, whether it's an original copy or there's multiple original copies, but then you can get a value to look at a Picasso and say, that is a real Picasso. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, look, there's no, I mean, when you create, when someone's got something that someone else wants and is prepared to pay more for it, that's a market. So, so there's probably a market for NFTs. The question is whether they're worth anything or there's value behind it. So, so one of the things that worries me a little bit about NFTs was there's a couple of things. The first one is, you know, technology is moving so quick. You know, a GIF art, for example, GIF. In 20 years, are they even even going to be around? Um, those types of files and how do you access them? And so they've got some quite mechanical problems that they're going to have to solve on that front. The other thing about it is um, when you look at NFTs, you have ownership, but from my reading of it, and, and my steam panelists can correct me if I'm wrong on this, you don't actually gain things like transferring rights or the ability to go and, you know, create create, create income out of that particular issue. You don't, um, the artist or the owner still has all those rights to the art, the copyrights and all those sort of things. So when I'm analysing an investment, I'm, I'm looking for every bit of value in that investment and it seems that ownership is the only thing. You've just got to wait for it, someone else to pay more for it. But all those other things that incorporate into value, yeah. Are, are absent and that worries me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I would say that at the moment, uh, NFT is not actually mainstream. It's much more popularized due to uh, social media or whatsoever. Right. Mm. It's basically a playground for the celebrities and the crypto millionaires. Right. So it's more of their yes. game. But so, that's you know, and that's happening. All, you know, this whole rise of NFTs has happened during the period where everything that is something, you know, property or used cars or watches or whatever it is of all, on physical art has all gone up massively. So, um, yes. you know, and everyone's looking at ways you can, you know, buy something for 10 cents and make it into $3 pretty quick. Um, you know, and that's what some of them have been able to do over the last year, but that's changed now probably in the last few weeks. Yeah, Partic particularly when you had this perfect storm of 0% uh, yield on interest rates, so you're not getting a return on, on cash, uh, huge Money printing and and increase in money supply. It was a desperation um, there, wasn't yeah, it? David? And so yeah, so it's a case of all right. Well, what what's a different asset to try? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean it inherently has utility. Uh, yeah. Just the beauties in the eye of the beholder, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I that's think a so. good point, actually. That's, that's it's a really good point. Good point. Um, just before we move on from crypto, I just want to acknowledge one of the questions um, from Chantel here. Do you guys think crypto will recover? You obviously said that it's dropped, you know, two thirds or something for some of them. Is it? A who knows? I, th I think it's a who knows. I mean, and one example is Terra. This was meant to be a, a stable coin uh, pegged to the US mm. dollar, one Terra for one US dollar. Yeah. It collapsed, I think, to eight cents. Yeah. So even the yeah. ones that were meant to be guaranteed and their value have collapsed. So right. it, uh, I think it's almost nigh on impossible to predict where yeah. we head. 
psychologically human beings always speculate. You know, they always do. So I would imagine the big engine behind crypto at the moment is looking for some marketing ploy, a, a worldwide marketing ploy to try and get the juices flowing again and that desperation flowing again. That's what yeah. I would imagine. But you're right in saying whoever, I think someone mentioned it before, but, you know, all the... Uh, the famous people on social media or Instagram, whatever, all you know now spruik it and endorsing you know, it in yeah. that way. That and, sounds right. To um, me. And yeah. yeah, people may follow. So. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, we've had the biggest interest rate rise in 22 years just recently as well. Um, everyone is affected in some way, no doubt about that. And I think the Reserve Bank Governor just recently sort of said, "Well, this could continue um, as inflation increases." Yeah. Is that? what you think will happen? Is that where we're going to be sitting, that uh, everyone's going to start to feel a little bit of pain? David, over to who, you for that. Who wants to go yeah. first? Well, let's go to the economist <laughs> yeah. from the bank. Well, you know, suddenly we've got a global inflation shock, a global energy yep. shock, um, and that leaves policymakers in a really unenviable position. What can they do when inflation suddenly surges, uh, and probably to an extent that we haven't seen since the 1970s? Mm. Uh, and the only policy lever that the Reserve Bank has is cranking up interest rates. Yeah. And basically that's aiming to dissuade us to spend as much. It, it's, yeah. We've got this supply-demand imbalance. Yep. Um, demand was already pretty strong coming out of the pandemic, mm. but now that supply is so constrained, um, all the Reserve Bank can do is to try to slow down the economy, try to slow down demand. Mm. And the hope is that that puts a bit of a cap on, on inflation. So how high are we going? We're probably heading to an official cash rate above 2% pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. Uh, probably go up another half a percent next month and right. then maybe a quarter of a percent increments until we get to around two, two and a quarter. Um, so it's a very blunt instrument, monetary yeah. policy, but that's the only policy tool that the RBA have. I think that it's forecast that inflation could get to 7%. CPI, it's core inflation that yeah. the Reserve Bank needs to manage. Yeah. And yeah. it's, well, it's 3.7, probably yeah. heading for four and a half plus. Yeah. But, but yes, it's, uh, and that's only one, that's just the Reserve Bank's role. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are other drivers there, but yeah. I don't think we're gonna uh, unfortunately be able to avoid a scenario of higher interest rates yes. for, uh, for longer. And everyone's gonna feel the pinch. Sadly so. Yeah. Unfortunately, the lower socioeconomic will feel it harder than as they always do. Um, they borrowed heavily um, yeah. in a pretty inflated market to yeah. buy houses. Um, yeah, for just basic advice in that scenario, what's the best thing for people to do while this is all occurring? Have you any sort I will, of tips I will on say, yeah, I would say financial literacy. This is the best time to do a financial health check of what you have and what set your priorities. And, and really financial education is the best thing that you can have. You really need to know what, what is your priorities in life. Things are challenging, but these have happened before. The, we are very lucky that our inflation is so-called going up to 7%. In the US, it's already 9 or 10%. So uh, we need to plan. So financial literacy is yeah. my point yeah. of view. Um, you know, you often hear um, people say, you know, go and make sure you get your mortgage checked, you know, and do like a health check with that. You say, right across all of your, um, your areas. Yeah. That yeah, speak to professionals perhaps as yeah. well because we cannot give a blanket uh, advice to everyone because everyone individual situations different. For example, Tristan mentioned those uh, with lower socioeconomics yeah. family, uh, mm. single parent of families, uh, young children. Uh, I mean, families with young children might be hard hit. Yeah, the psychology of it. Um, you know. In the end, what's the reason that you look at your mortgage and you try and manage the interest rate? Well, it's really about well-being in the end. You, you know, you don't want people, Australians, sitting there stewing over these interest rate rises and losing sleep over it and, you know, having heart attacks over it. So sometimes it's helpful to sit down with someone, revisit your objectives because sometimes interest rate rises aren't really that bad. You'll still be able to meet all the objectives that you want to meet over the long term. It just needs to be qualified. Um, you know, you need to, you know, potentially plan, have a look at it. And if someone can sit in front of you and say, well, look, these interest rates are going to go up, but you'll be fine. You know, you'll be able to meet all your objectives. Okay, there's slightly less of an estate to hand over the kids. You might be very happy with that. You, you might be quite comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, objectives-based decisions 
based on goals and objectives rather than the micro detail around what interest rate is this and what's that is probably a better way to sort of bring the bring the pressure down. I know you talked about you have that real interest in the human psychology of it, okay. the anxiety and the stress and the fear of, you know, a changing environment. Plays. People are frightened, very Absolutely. frightened right now and um, you yeah. can see it in clients. Yep. Yeah, but I would think that stay positive because being resilient is one of the key things to, to get out of all this. Uh, the world of madness, you would like to say. Maybe you could say that. But yeah, stay positive, do some financial health check and make informed decisions. Do not, do not just jump on speculative yeah. assets. And yeah. You know what yeah. you are investing yeah. because as the world of digital technologies uh, 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 right now, we, all the uh, technology innovations, so we get a different kind of like financial products, borrowings and uh, uh, lending as well and investment. There are complex products out there. We need to understand what are those before making the decision. Yeah. David, I've got a quick and, question for you. That's what I was just going to add and, and have yeah. a budget. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. very more important than ever to Planning. have a budget yeah. and stick to it in an environment where costs are going to be increasing and, and we're needing to deal with uh, those sort of changes. Sorry. Do you, David, just a question for you. Um, do, is it true that banks are still looking for high quality credit, like the appetite for banks is still there for high quality credit? Um, and the reason I ask that question is, is it worthwhile for people to shop around if they've paid a fair bit off their mortgage, they might be in a better position than they were a number of years ago and present as less of a risk in a high quality credit. Are banks still looking you know, for credit and Look, looking for you know, Yeah, but banks are in the businesses, business of lending and, um, uh, and providing whatever customers need. Yeah. And uh, demand for credit will continue through the cycle so, yeah, absolutely. Sure banks are, banks are open for, for business. Yeah. Uh, the fact that interest rates are rising, that's a challenge for someone on a variable rate who might need to think about should I fix or not? Might be a, a time to consider should I go 50% fixed, 50% variable? Um, it's, it's a challenging time when just considering the, the economic cycle. But, mm. but there's no change to the inherent, um, you know, to, to the, the, the need for... Uh, the financial institutions to continue to support customers mm -hmm. and to provide them the credit they need to meet their aspirations. Absolutely. There's never been a, an easier time now to shop it around for, for your yeah. debt. I mean, you know, online-wise, like, you know, Joust or whoever it is, um, you can go on, you know, pretty quickly as well, go and shop your debt around the place to see, you know, whether banks, non-banks, all of them, yeah. uh, it's pretty competitive, you know, with the number yeah. out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Comparing the markets. Well, can I ask if any of us had this experience and as someone from a bank, um, obviously you see all these great uh, opportunities to come and change your uh, mortgage over to us and we'll look after you and all that. For the existing um, customers, is it worth them going into the bank and saying, right, well, you're offering these rates for attractive rates to bring people over. Will you look after us? Can we negotiate in some capacity? I think it's in any um, part of life, whether or not that's banking or your car yep. or um, any aspect um, of, of planning, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely worthwhile to continue to just do a health check of your yeah. current arrangements and yeah. by all means have a chat with the incumbents. I expect everyone to come in, all your clients and customers to come in today and uh, <laughs> say, hey, come on, let's uh, squeeze this Competi Competition is healthy yeah. and so that's a good thing yeah. for the industry. Um, hmm. Anyone purchased a $12 lettuce recently? <laughs> no. But I've got to get my veggie patch up and running. I really... <laughs> well, I see, I think KFC said they're going to start sticking cabbage in their burgers rather than lettuce at the moment because it's a little bit cheaper. Um, the cost of living at the moment, obviously, everyone is feeling it, um, no matter where, where you're at. Uh, how much of the Russia-Ukraine scenario can we thank for this situation? A lot? Uh, yeah. a, a lot. I mean, our view is that inflation was already going to be a bit of a challenge this yeah. year. It, as you come out of restrictions and with, um, you know, government support measures, $320 billion from federal government, another 200 from state governments, uh, there was always going to be good demand coming out of the, um, the pandemic era and going to yes. endemic. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has just supercharged those pressures because it's really 
detracted from supply at the same time that demand was already going to be higher. So it's very much an energy crisis, an energy shock right. uh, that is feeding through to inflation. And really, when we say cost of living, we're generally talking about inflated cost yeah. of goods. Yeah. Uh, so. There are other factors, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, the Russian economy is about 40%, I think, petrochemicals and petrochemical products sanctioned within an inch of its life. And geopolitically, you know, yes. countries are all moving away from that. Although Russia seems to be making a hell of a lot of money out of oil at the moment. Um, anyway, um, but um, it's, we're going we're gonna to see that at, a bow, at the Bowser for a long period of time. I think, I think it's, it takes a long time for geopolitics to play out and to countries to restructure themselves in relation to commodities. Um, you know, they're a big deal. And Ukraine um, was the, you know, the breadbasket or is the breadbasket of, of Europe. You know, a lot of very high quality wheats produced in Ukraine. Um, um, Russia obviously is, is making headway in into destroying that economy. So we have shortages. Yeah. Um, so I think it's here to stay probably for quite a while. So, you know, horrible scenario. Um Obviously, you know, oil and you say, and then I think the uh, the weather situation in southern Queensland has affected a lot of the produce that we've got. What are the main areas that we're really going to struggle with for a while, do you think? Obviously, fuel, um, there's the groceries and so forth, but there are other areas in our lives that uh, we're really going to have to struggle with at the moment? It's hard to know because there's... There seems to be supply side constraints on pretty much everything at the moment. And, and so everywhere you look, um, at some stage, and David will know more about this than I do, some stage those supply constraints will naturally wash through and we'll, we'll, we'll find some macroeconomic balance um, in those things. So you'll start to see things settle down. But I think oil and gas you know, will continue. Um, um, to, you know, to, at the Bowser, we'll, we'll continue to provide a problem, but it's very hard to say. Um, yeah, well, very it, it is across the board, though, isn't it? And ah. when you've got petrol at, well, I'm glad we've got a 22 cent cut on the excise, but it's still costing close to $2 a litre uh, to fill the car with petrol. Yeah. That, that flows through to so many things. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got, um, talking about geopolitics, with China's zero COVID strategy, uh, you've got a whole range of, of um, cities in China and ports that are closed. Um, so that's added to some of those constraints. Um, and, and therefore, you know, supply chains have never been more stressed, mm. have they? And then throw in the weather-related events. And uh, uh, again, it's just uh, a perfect storm. And our energy mix is not right yet. And I know that's a contentious issue because we, you know, we... You know, and, I, and look, I'm, I'm as, as passionate about renewables as the next person, but, you know, in order to transition effectively and not have everyone collapse under the weight of, of the increasing costs, there has to be some, you know, some science put around the transition. Um, I'm not going to talk about gas and transition fuels and all that because I don't think that's the right forum for it, but um, we certainly need to do some work on our energy mix in this country, um, you know, to, to weather the storm over the next period financially. Yep. Um, obviously, building material costs yes. are very high at the moment, um, and, and we're seeing that for people with housing, I mean, first home buyers, when you've got people thinking about building and so forth, is there a safer strategy at the moment? Safer? In terms of, I mean, for a first home buyer or something, if they had a little bit of money, should people be building? Or oh, I mean, yeah, through a lot of our projects, we've got projects really running from um, towers for apartments through to hotel to, you know, standard residential builds, really. Yeah. Um, the supply, I mean, it, yeah, there's been a, probably a 30% material rise, I think, mm. something like that. Um, you know, fluctuates between the trade. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it seems to be um, stabilising and some materials coming back. Um, the problem was, you know, for larger projects, uh, you know, container costs used to be something like one and a half US and now they're 10. Um, so right. things like, you know, big buildings where you'd have you know, large facade packages and things like that, which is a major cost of it. Um, yeah, the cost of transport uh, made it, yeah, inefficient to come out of yeah, overseas, China, et cetera, yeah. from Thailand, whoever it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think starting to stabilise and, you know, but material-wise, you know, there's a lot of um, residential construction still, you know, being um, supported up in Queensland uh, as well with um, builds and rebuilds and refurbishments and whatever. So would you um, expect some relief? Yeah, I think it's starting to stabilise and, yeah. you know, a lot of the sort of mass residential builders around Adelaide are yeah. 
starting to get uh, a bit more certainty with their trade costings. And yeah, um, I mean, a lot of them still strategy-wise won't won't be fixing their price before they've you know completed design and lodged it planning and yeah. you know waiting until you've gone through that process. And everyone knows with planning. The planning system, you know, how long a piece of string could take two months, could take six. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can't hold prices that long in this market. You, you know, right now I'm seeing a lot of tenders come in for our sort of apartment projects. We've had a couple close recently where, you know, a lot of the tenders are 30-day term. So um, you need to have locked, locked that down that contract with the builder before the end of the month. Yeah. Um, I got a question here from Sandy in the audience. Um, just the interest rate changes and so forth with apartments and new build developments. Um, if that's where she was planning to put her super, is there a big issue with that at the moment? I don't know a big issue. I mean, I think, I think I read this morning um, the vacancy rate still in Adelaide um, rental-wise like 0.3%, so like amazingly low. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, like, still the cost of apartments in Adelaide it hasn't had a particular rise. It's still reasonable. It's still about the same square metre rate that most have been paying a while. I mean, Adiad O'Connell seems to be setting a good kind of new precedent on, on sales square meter rates, but uh, you know, plenty of other projects apartment-wise around town, and we've got a couple down at Glenelg, for instance, and they're still priced at you know the the usual rate, I guess. Um, you know, Adelaide's notorious for being about seven and a half, eight thousand square meter, and maybe you're you're going up to kind of ten for for your penthouse levels. But um, yeah, the cost of construction for developers and and things like that, they um. They're taking a hit there, but um, you know the land values have gone up as well. But yeah, it's a it's still a viable option, I think, in an investment apartment, apartments at the moment. And if you're getting good occupancy, it's hopefully yielding you something that's maybe better, maybe not be better than something uh, on on a bit of dirt at the moment. I won't comment on residential property as a good investment or because I just don't know it well enough. But um, people that buy property um, as part of their super fund. They normally do it through a self-managed super fund to buy the property. So they probably need to be very, very careful, despite how good the asset might be and how, how well it performs, that they're buying things and the fund will remain compliant. You know, we've we've had a, a, a lot of people come across our desks who have self-managed super funds. The liquidity in the fund has dried up. There's no cash left. There's just an investment property in there. And the rent is just not enough to cover the minimum drawdowns required by law. Um, in pension phase, um, and so they end up in a non-complying fund, and and that that gets difficult, and that gets you know that, that creates structural issues. So the quality, I'm happy to accept you know, my learned colleague's view of the world of residential property that it's a good thing to to, to do, um, but but they need to, people need to think about the structural problems um, of how they own that property, and, and super might not be the best place. So, yep. Um, you just got a, a question here about. Um accessing super from your self-managed fund to purchase an investment property, if people can do that. Um, is that a good strategy? Well, it, it's, it's tax effective. And yeah. um, um, I think one of the challenges ahead is that we've had, you know, two to three decades now of falling interest rates and of falling inflation. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden we're now going to go into an era where interest rates are going to be a bit higher, inflation is going to be more prevalent than it's yes. been. Um, so, um, look, to your earlier point, Nick, uh, the, the yield's still going to be there, um, but you might not get the capital appreciation that, yep. that had been there in the past. Uh, but if you look at property over the last 30 years, I was just looking at an example uh, in Adelaide the other day, uh, a property worth 150,000 30 years ago, it's now worth 1.2 million. Yes. So you've met that would have gone up 8% year on year compounding for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes. yes, we might be in for a, a, a correction in the market and the market might correct 10%, maybe it'll yeah. correct 15, but you look at the longer term performance and it's very strong. Right. So yeah. um, it's, it's, so I think it's important to look at the long term prospects yes. and not get too caught up in short term yeah. movements. Yeah. yeah. So if you, for example, uh, and I know you can't give direct advice, but for if you had, a young family looking to buy at the moment and they need to because obviously rented shortage that is it a good time now or should they start to still wait a little bit as things change a bit i mean there might be more property available as interest rates go up and that sort of thing is 
No, 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 I'm just talking about just generally. Yeah, sorry, just generally. For, you know, if there's someone watching and they're thinking, right, oh, we really need to get involved and get something. Is it worth them trying to just get in now or it's is a, that still Look, it's risky, a difficult one. I, uh, look, no, even making financial decisions, those decisions can't be all about the financial outcomes yeah. um, because, because we're human beings. We have different elements on us. One thing that's absolutely very, very clear is when... Let's take a young couple as the example. When they have a roof over their head that's theirs, the well-being and the benefits transcend well beyond the financial. So, you know, they've got gardens to tend. Um, their appetite for risk can increase so that they will take further risks in careers and other things like that, um, you know, you know, because they feel a little bit of pressure and they, and they want to yes. move forward. So there's a, there's a lot of benefits of owning property that transcend whether it's a good financial thing to do or not. So look, young couple wanting to have children, whatever, um, I'm not going to give you advice in this forum um, <laughs> as to whether they should do that. Yeah. But but geez, you know, you'd be crazy for saying I'm not going to buy property because interest rates are at a certain yeah. level if, right. if you're building a life together. Yes. Put it that way. And I think there was, um, there was an article at the end of last week in the AFR talking about each state and the residential values and what's going to happen. And I think AFR had you know, Adelaide, South Australia, um, leading the rest of the country. And, and I think they're reporting something like 6% for 22. So, um, you know, whilst the Eastern Seaboard may have a negative, um, I don't I don't know if that's the case in tightly held suburbs. I doubt it. But, um, you know, in Adelaide so far, and, you know, a lot of people in this room have seen the market a lot longer than I have. But um, Adelaide doesn't seem to fluctuate as much as the other states. Yeah. And, you know, as much as this, um, that article showed, I think, 6% growth this year, but then uh, a negative 10% next year. Uh, I Personally, I doubt that for South Australia. I think, you know, we, we're more the, um, the slow and steady state rather than, yeah, the fluctuations of Sydney. But, um, yeah, I mean, 6% growth, you know, if that's, if that's something that is realised this year, then, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good result in turbulent times. Um, I, I think with a lot of that and given COVID as well, what we've all been through the last couple of years, it makes you pretty grateful that we are in this state, doesn't it, for a lot of you, perhaps that have had experience in overseas and, and interstate and so forth? Yeah, that's right. And there does seem to be more of a focus on Adelaide these days. I mean, um, a lot of interstate large development firms coming to Adelaide and you know, I think there was an announcement last week of um, a guy called Tim Gurner coming and doing a JV at the Kennard site uh, in the city down here. Um, but a lot of you know, developers from Melbourne and Sydney coming over here and looking at us as, as undervalued. And you know, let's face it, our price, even though we've had a significant amount of growth yeah. uh, in the last couple of years, um, yeah, we're still price-wise um, you know, significantly under Melbourne, Sydney. And, and um, I was in Sydney a couple of weeks ago, and there's still a big emphasis on people who are um, realizing the amount of money that in their principal place of residence and looking how else we're where can you put you know, a large amount of money that have sold out of Sydney and, and Adelaide seems to be a focus at the moment because um, you can buy well and buy very close to the city and um, all that sort of thing for lifestyle. And we saw that in the CoreLogic data for last month where Sydney prices dropped 1%, Melbourne prices dropped 0.7%, uh, but Adelaide was up, um, I think it was 1.3%. It was uh, just, you know, quite a diverse or diverging set of outcomes and, and regional Australia clearly outperforming the capital cities. So we're seeing some of those sort of COVID trends continue. Yeah, but I would say that it is true that what you mentioned earlier is the principal private residence. So for someone who is making those decisions, they, they need to think, are they getting that as their first home, They're getting a roof over their head for their families, or are they getting that as second investment holiday homes? Then that's a different decision. And, and yeah. Another thing is obviously is the risk appetite. So how tolerate are you on, on taking that risk? Property markets volatile at the moment, interest rate, and inflation, it gets people worried and keeping them up at night. But still, you think about over the long term, what will happen? What is your priorities on that? Yeah, and stay positive. So evaluate that part and know yourself, uh, only you know yourself, what's your risk tolerance, right? Um, it's interesting, uh, and you talk about start with the human psychology, and as you've pointed out there, uh, so much of these decisions impact on people's mental health and well-being, um, and whether it's perhaps not having enough understanding or education in the area, and 
not being uh, now. What was the term you used to be? Um, financial literacy. Financial literacy. Yeah, if your financial literacy is is not great, the amount of impact on your whole person is quite phenomenal. Leap, there needs to be a leap of faith. So the young need to understand that a lot of life is a leap of faith. Um, and if you analyse, do I go into a property, you can find, if you take it far enough, every reason not to, to buy a house for yourself. But but life's not like that. It's There's, there's so many leaps of faith that need to be made with careers and having kids and your marriage partner and what have you. So the advice really is for young people to, you know, don't take it so seriously. Have a, you know build a life together, take a leap of faith. It's hard to convince them to do that because they're very facts-focused, the, uh, the young now. So. Tristan, you strike me as an extremely positive person. No, obviously, and I mean that as a compliment, mm. you know, because yeah, life is yeah. challenging. We're all faced with so many different challenges in everyday life and then we get this thing called COVID thrown on the top, which now gives us a collective challenge that we all feel like we're in together with. Um, but, uh, you know, congratulations to you because you do, you, you sound seem very positive in and maybe that concentration on the human psychology and decision making in an area like this um, put you in good stead in a mindset, I suppose. Yeah, when you do a, a multivariable analysis across everything, not just the financial result, yes. you can find that decisions are a lot more positive yeah. for you when you, um, as opposed to you think they are. So, yeah, yeah. so that's where the positivity I, I, comes from. If I may add, add on to that, which is true. So if, if people are much more uh, informed with, with their financial yeah. condition or even products or services that is going on, and they are much more confident to make the yeah. right decision. And and when they, they have their confidence, they're happier with doing what yes. they want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Um, yeah, don't just worry about the wallet and the, the salary, worry about what's going on up there as well. Yeah, terrific. Um, we're nearing the end of the hour. Um, can I just ask if you have a think for a moment, um, certainly if there's any questions from the audience that we haven't had, now's a great time to, uh, to ask those across any of the topics as well while we we have our experts here, but um, any sort of final thoughts from you guys just about obviously the, the landscape we're in at the moment um, and I suppose your optimism I, I really love. Um, is, there, is there a piece of advice perhaps that uh, you could give people, each of you, I'll give you a moment to think about it, that uh, can sort of carry forward? I'm not asking for financial advice or anything like that, but I mean, you know, just to... Uh, perhaps a perspective because you all have that um, yeah, educational background in that area. I'll kick it off by yeah. just saying it is easy to be critical of or concerned about, say, the economic outlook, you know, oh, how are we going to cope with higher interest mm. rates, how are we going to cope with inflation building. But I, I really cannot think of another economy in the world that is better equipped to cope with some of these challenges right. than what we have in Australia. Uh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons we've got a AAA credit rating and one of yes. only nine countries in the world with a AAA rating from each of the ratings agencies. Yeah. But he, here we are, strong demand for labour, um, strong business confidence, mm. strong household savings. We've come through the pandemic mm. in fantastic shape. So we're well equipped to deal with the challenges ahead and there are gonna be yeah. some but I'd rather be dealing with them here than anywhere else that I can think of. It's a good point you make, to, even just availability of jobs and that sort of thing. In yeah. the last week, I, I spoke to a crash repairer and he said, I can't get staff. Um, and I spoke to a gardener and he said, I can't get good staff. Um, so th there is optimism, certainly from a, a work point of view, no doubt. And I imagine you guys perhaps see that in some of your areas as well and, and many of you would as well. Um, Michelle, just some thoughts yeah. perhaps? There's a lot to be positive about. We, we should be grateful that we are in Australia, of course. And, and I would say that stay resilient. And even though right now it's kind of like a, a choppy or, or, or stormy weather, stay positive, stay resilient, and be educated, literate on what you are doing and have a health, financial health check on, yeah. on what yep. you have. Yep. Terrific. Um. Look, I think, I think at times of sort of financial peril like we're facing, the right strategy or the right core strategy is to look after our relationships. And it sounds ridiculous. My, my, my father ran his own law firm and he, when, when he found out I was going to become a financial advisor, he said, Tristan, I'll give you some financial advice. Keep the marriage together. Do anything you can to keep the marriage together because, because 
you know, he, he dealt with clients that have split money two, three, four times across different managers, marriages. I know that's a, I know that's a bit facetious, but the, re, but the reality is, you know, coming through this and coming through it well, there's all the practical elements of financial advice, but, there, but then there's also the, the reality that we need to, you know, absolutely look after our relationships and we need to spend time looking after them because that's what gets tested when there's financial pressure. Um, that can actually cause disillusion of very long-term relationships that would otherwise have have lasted lasted for eons. So, um, so that's that's my answer. It's a very good point. Yeah. Um, Nick, what about your thoughts? Just uh, I guess I'd say, well, in, in my area, I guess the construction side of things. Um, you know, the, in South Australia, there's still uh, a good number of new projects, whether that's you know housing mass housing housing you know divisions for new suburbs, or whether it's you know urban you know, densification of um, which has become a little bit more streamlined through the new planning code, but that and um, you know new apartment projects around the place, all that sort of stuff. So supply is coming and coming back, and um, yeah, I mean if if this this state ends up having more positive growth this year, then I think it's a it's not a bad place to be. Yep, absolutely. Can you please uh, thank our panel? Great to uh, to have you all here, to David, Michelle, Tristan, and Nick. Thanks, guys, so much for your for your insights and your input, really uh, valuable. Thanks very much. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. And you can watch the session uh, again on the Flinders YouTube channel or Flinders University Fearless Conversations webpage. So uh, we we'll hope you can join us for the next one. Thanks again, everyone.